episode five of the Andrew Curtis Show. I'll be your Andrew Curtis for the day. Thanks for tuning in. This week, well, you know how I like just soft and cuddly topics, you know, keeping things superficial, uh, superficial and light. Uh, decided to go after this one this week. What does it mean to be a man? Oh yeah. Does it mean talking like this in a world where one man, etc.? Um, a friend of mine, Jason Knapp, has been putting together a program um, that arose out of his experience working with youth, uh, working with young men, going through the youth courts and things like that, and also a response to statistics that show that uh, young men in New Zealand in particular are not doing that well. Um, in terms of our youth suicide statistics, um, he brings up a point actually about how heavily men are represented in those numbers. Uh, so something's clearly not right. But Jace is the kind of guy who saw this problem and said, well, look, you know what? Uh, if young men are struggling with their identity and knowing what it means to be a man in this culture, somebody's got to come up with something that um, provides some clarity. So he's doing that. How cool is that? right? Stepping up. And the thing is, Jace is a pretty young guy. He's in his 20s. Um, and what you're about to listen to is our discussions just around this topic. Um, Jace is pretty well read on the topic as well. Um, he's looked to get some expert advice as he puts this program together. But um, look, I think it could be a really cool springboard for your own discussions about this kind of thing. And so we braved the rain. You can hear it pounding around in the background. Um, we've had torrential downpours around New Zealand for the last uh, week or two. Um, but uh, we came together just to discuss this program, and I thought the best place to start was to go, okay, Jace, the program's called Raw. Tell me all about it. Hey, Andrew. So Raw is basically a program that looks at giving young guys a roadmap to their journey of manhood, uh, looking in particular at the characteristics that make a man, uh, some of the phases of manhood, talking about resilience, how to build a, a tribe of people around you that support you and uplift you, and help influence the trajectory of your life in a positive direction. Also looking at the power of personal choice, uh, changing the scripts we live by, uh, and how to deal with anger and difficult emotions, right. uh, such as anxiety, how to resolve depression. And then also going to be touching on vision and, and goal setting and chasing after your dreams that is as a, well. That is a massive topic, man. Yeah, it's a little bit of a daunting undertaking, <laughs> um, but I did think it was kind of necessary to do something yeah. to, to, to help some of our young guys kind of transitioning uh, through yeah, those difficult years that they find themselves in in so, adolescence. So what was it then that you, that you observed or experienced that made you realize this was something that was missing? Yeah, I guess for me, through, through maybe the last six and a half, seven years of working with young people across a range of contexts, I think one thing I've noticed is a lot of young guys, particularly, find themselves in a state of real drift where they don't know really who they are or, or what they're chasing after. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lack of self-belief. They maybe have a lack of drive and, and a lack of kind of self-esteem and confidence. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I've kind of also seen throughout our culture, it seems in some respects, maybe there's almost a crisis of masculinity. Mm. And I think when we look at, you know, statistics uh, such as suicide across our nation of, of New Zealand, as last year in 2016, there was 579 cases of suicide um, across the country. Yeah. And, and men were grossly um, overrepresented in that statistic, um, numbering a total of 409 
um, out of that total number. So yeah. I just think there's a lot of kind of difficulties um, and challenges to kind of navigate in our journey of manhood. Yeah. That if we don't learn to respond to well and adapt accordingly and, and build kind of relationships to help us in our journey through difficulty. I just think there's a lot of kind of undesirable effects and outcomes Sure. that I think we need to be strategic about, you know, creating opportunities um, and initi- initiatives to actually intervene. Mm. As our age has also been referred to as the age of fatherlessness. Right. And I think a lot of these young men, a lot of them don't actually have fathers. Mm. A lot of them don't have fathers who are involved or if they're there and they are involved to some capacity, maybe they're not um, hugely encouraging mm. or hugely nurturing of their masculinity. Yeah. Um, and so I just think that leaves a lot of kids um, shortchanged sure. and insecure and maybe lost. Um and just really in a position of, of difficulty. Because that whole idea as well of like be a man, mm. like just that as a, that can be an insult to people. You know, like if you say, so <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you look at a guy and you go, hey, be a man. Yeah. What's the, what's the connotation? Well, you're clearly not a man. Yeah. But they don't know, again, in some of those contexts, they get themselves into a lot of trouble trying to answer that question, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think one of the big things there is, you know, how our culture defines manhood. Yeah. And I think in our kind of modern first world society, we don't actually have a definition of manhood that's actually balanced, that actually encompasses men from kind of across the spectrum of personalities mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, ways of being. Actually, can I touch on that at one point? So yeah, when sure. you talk about that idea of personality coming into that as well, that speaks to there being more than one expression of what authentic manhood looks like. Yeah, definitely. So can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I- I'll say I'll begin by defining maybe one of the dominant views that we have of manhood, uh, p- particularly in New Zealand, and it probably expresses itself, I think, across Britain and Australia mm-hmm. um, and maybe other parts of the globe as well, is that we there's this kind of this view um, of masculinity as being kind of very dominant mm-hmm. and domineering. Mm-hmm. Um, sociologists kind of refer to this kind of ideology of manhood as kind of a hegemonic form of masculinity okay and essentially what that means is that it's characterized by you know being a tough guy right being um kind of emotionally quite stoic quite stoic yeah very yeah. stoic also um kind of domineering of, of women or of weaker men supposedly mm-hmm. um there was air quotes by the way for people <laughs> listening there was air quotes there yeah <laughs> And yeah, so I think we have this kind of definition, or, or maybe, you know, part of it is that a man has status, mm. uh, a man has power, um, you know, you look at a lot of kind of advertising and marketing, and you know, a man is kind of almost defined by his assets, mm-hmm. um, or kind of very much by external measures, Sure. in a sense. And so automatically, I think that sidelines a lot of men. Mm. And when we ask the question, you know, can a man be you know metrosexual or can a man be sensitive or can a man right. you know pursue these kind of careers and professions that are traditionally being deemed kind of a non-masculine sure. domain and still be a man right okay and yeah. i think the i think the answer to that to that is absolutely right and i think maybe this construct of masculinity we've had has actually been 
you know, not only unhelpful, mm. but debilitating. Okay. And quite confusing as well. So tell me more about that. Yeah, well, I think um, one thing that I, I believe has kind of made a lot of our generation um, and our society kind of get lost in this is if you look at a lot of cultures around the world, um, particularly in less developed countries, you actually see this passage of manhood mm. defined by these key moments in a boy's life yeah. where he has to undertake um, some kind of challenge or overcome some form of adversity okay. in order to prove you know, who he is and that he's worthy. This is the rights of passage kind of thing, right? Yeah, worthy, yeah. worthy of attaining the rights to manhood. Okay. Um, and so there's a few examples of this. Um, there's a really cool one in, the, um, in Kenya. There's this tribe called the Maasai Warriors. Uh-huh. And so basically when a lion comes in, descends upon their flock uh, in the village, a, a young man basically has to take up a spear Mm-hmm. and defeat the lion okay. using, using, right. <laughs> using only a spear. So it's pretty crazy. So he has to do that yeah, okay. um, and take down the lion. So he ends up being mortally wounded. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Obviously, he's going to have some battle scars from that confrontation. Uh-huh. But after that, he's kind of celebrated. Um, you know, he's deemed as heroic. Sure. You know, having demonstrated these characteristics of bravery right. and courage. And he's now transitioned into a new kind of place of status. But would would we not look at that though in a in a Western context and say, well, that's that's primitive though, that's that's barbaric. Um, surely a person doesn't need to put their life on the line. Yeah, I th- I think maybe, I think maybe some of us would. Uh-huh. Um, I think a lot of us men just think that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do. Yeah, I do think our um, our constructions of, you know, what it means to be a man and what masculinity is, mm. I do think there's some kind of parts of that are very stable sure, and consistent, you know, no matter where you go across the world, mm. um, almost innate to manhood. Mm. And yet I think there's other aspects of masculinity, which is almost socially or geographically constructed. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so... Yeah, because I mean, look, I am kind of fishing with that comment because I guess what I'm, <laughs> what I'm really saying with that too is that... Um, we can look at one culture to another and say, well, what you guys do um, to prove you're a man is ridiculous. But then, of course, I'll go down, uh, say, go into town or something like that on a Friday, Saturday night. We'll have guys like drinking themselves till they're falling over. Mm-hmm. And we go, you know, unless you kind of open your eyes to it, you look at that and go, hey, that guy's, you know, oh, look, he can drink, you know, a mm-hmm. dozen, two dozen beers in a sitting. <laughs> what a legend. And yeah, then we go, sure. that, that guy's fighting a lion. What an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, either way, there's some kind of a... Um, some kind of an external thing we're looking to even as, as guys to prove maybe to ourselves and to other people that you know we're not just not just little kids anymore yeah i, I definitely think there is yeah and, and i think maybe sometimes in society our kind of definition just becomes a bit off kilter mm. and i think the thing about not having a clear definition of of actually what it means to be a man mm. is that then the definition is actually left to the dominant social group yeah. in our sphere to define because this, this speaks to that thing when you talk about, um, you know, the guys that you worked with in, in youth, um, you know, youth courts and things like that as well, mm. often not having fathers around and things mm, like that. Sure. Um, Say so in my own reading, one of the things that I've seen quite clearly is that this idea of, of being a man is traditionally bestowed from the elder generation to the younger guy coming up. They said, you'll know mm. you're a man basically because these older male role models through one kind of me- measure or another will basically say, look, we'll let you know when you're a man. Uh, because this is what we expect of you. 
but you delete that entire strata out of a culture as we kind of have you know growing up without fathers as a lot pe- a lot of people do mm. and then suddenly well who's going to tell me i'm a man now yeah totally and so who do we look to instead i think um a lot of men a lot of guys when they don't have have a father model yep or they don't have an older male voice mm. i actually think they begin to look to their peers uh-huh. to actually kind of take that place take that role and mm. defining what it means to be a man yep and so then we kind of find ourselves in this place where we have a lot of these definitions of manhood mm. that are actually driving really unhealthy behaviors. Sure. And so in our society, you know, we maybe one measure of a man that I think is unhealthy is, you know, a guy is deemed a man if he sleeps with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, they're, which, and they're not, Jason? And they're not? I, don't, I think that's a very shallow definition. Okay. Tell me more. Um well, I guess one key characteristic that I kind of bring back to, you know, kind of forging this concept of <clears throat> of manhood really is a man is, I think, defined in a way or is proven strong in a way by what he builds to build and to encourage others up and to stabilize um their kind of sense of self mm. as love. Okay. And so one of the things I come back to when we when we define masculinity mm. is a man is in large part defined by the, how he loves other people. Okay. And because I think love, it always kind of brings strength okay. to people. Wow. Because like, even as you're saying that, like I am aware of every kind of cultural message that you hear about masculinity being... If you, if you went to a room, say a high school, a, a boy's high school and said, guys, mm. the thing that makes you a man first and foremost is how much you love other people. <laughs> I can feel them freaking out right from here. Oh, I, I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. So how do, you, how do you start to get that message across? Yeah, I think um, just kind of reverting back to that previous statement... Mm. Um, I think one of the problems with, you know, defining, you know, masculinity by these external measures of, you know, whether or not we're, you know, getting girls or, you know, we've reached a certain kind of pinnacle of status mm. is I think our, you know, masculinity is not defined by so much by our sexuality mm-hmm. and it's not so much defined by, you know, our acquisitions or our material possessions, but I actually think it's cultivated mm. through the possession of, a lot of kind of core character qualities right you know that we exhibit mm. and so i think regardless of where a man comes from regardless of their level of status mm. um you know their ethnic or um socioeconomic background mm. i think there's these kind of kiss consistent stable measures um that really kind of bring to light what it means to be a manhood so kind of going back to your question is i think yeah love is a key characteristic mm. I think also loyalty mm. is another key characteristic. Yeah. I think this is one that's kind of very evident in our culture among, among males and okay. among men. Yeah. As you know, we, we seek in our friendships guys who are going to be loyal, guys who are going to be, um, who aren't going to let us down, mm-hmm. who, you know, will be there in, in time of need or, you know, who will elevate or prioritize their mates, mm. um, maybe above other things. Yeah. I think... Also core to that is, um, is bravery. You know, I think 
within the masculine psyche, I think there's this real need to to be brave and to be bold in the in the pursuit of what we do and to kind of overcome fear and mm. and, and step out, um, you know, and face kind of obstacles and opportunities that we could ever very easily kind of crumble or or, or cow to. Sure. Um, so how did you how did you start to identify these traits? Like, what was it that made you decide? Yep, that is an authentic masculine trait versus no, that's just some kind of a, a thing that we've adapted that maybe isn't helpful or isn't isn't uh, isn't correct. Yeah, sure. Good question. So I think looking into these rites of passage, um, you know, we don't we don't actually have a rite of passage in our culture in our context. Mm. Um, I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of um, kind of the whole hazing scheme in, in college dorms and sororities in, in America mm. um, and maybe Canada and places like that is that young men don't have this rite of passage and so they're attempting to create their own. Right. And when we look at maybe some of these, you, you said before, potentially more primitive societies or maybe societies who just do masculinity differently. Mm is we actually find a lot of these rites of passage. I like that distinction, by the way. People who do masculinity differently, not necessarily, you know, primitively. I think that's a, that's a cool distinction to make. Yeah, Sorry, definitely. Carry on. definitely. Yeah. I think it's necessary. Yeah. Um, and so basically, when we look at these rites of passage, I think each of the rites of passage across varying different cultures, yeah. each of them is looking to determine whether or not a, uh, a young man possesses a particular characteristic right okay a yeah. particular I like that. quality of character okay you know whether that's the ability to be adversity mm. whether or not that's the ability to yeah face down a line mm. and be victorious mm. whether or not you know it's an opportunity to demonstrate bravery or show honor or or be responsible mm. um which i think also kind of key characters and kind of defining and, and unearthing this kind of mm. um masculine definition mm. or, or definition of a healthy masculinity sure um so yeah i hope that answers your question yeah so <laughs> i mean and those are the um if i was to think about again what a dominant picture of, of masculinity looks like you know uh, sitting in a lounge on auckland's north shore uh on a wednesday evening um tuesday evening um where then do, I suppose if I was to speak of the softer traits, you know, when we're talking about the ability to be compassionate or to be loving to others as well, like how do we, you know, how do you identify that that was actually a, a, an integral part of this, you know, the other side of that coin? Because mm. I could say already, well, in our culture, we have even this, you know, Saturday sportsmen kind of, there are weekend warriors looking to show the, you know, the, 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 I guess the warrior code in our culture, right? These are guys yeah, going sure. out to, to fight and, and, and uh, you know, in, in whatever ways the police will let them. Mm. Um, so then to balance that with these other traits, like, again, how did you identify those as being an, an integral part of that full picture of what it means to be a man in this culture? Yeah, well, I think it comes back to actually how do we define strength? Right. Okay. Um, I like that. And I think defining strength is, you know, we have physical strength um, and we also have this kind of, emotional solidarity right um which i think has a lot to do with you know who we are and, and how we kind of regulate and, and, and drive ourselves mm. um kind of in our lives and in our relationships mm. and when i think of a man i think that a man is someone who possesses possesses strength 
someone who can be a pillar, you know, a point of stability mm. um, and a point of security mm. for the people around him. Um, also, I think he can bear adversity. Right. But I also think he has to have heart as well. Sure. You know, I think a healthy masculinity is, you know, revealed in a man who loves, mm. is revealed in a man who can show compassion, who can empathize, who can show kindness, mm. who's kind of driven by passion, mm. um, in a sense, and I think feel feels alive. Right. And I think kind of what we see in our cultural kind of constructs of masculinity is I think on one end of the spectrum, we see men who are maybe, you know, perceived as strong, mm. okay, the weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. And they are strong physically, you know, yeah. Um, and yep. and they give a you know project an appearance of strength. But then also, I think sometimes they are kind of all strength, and they don't have much heart. Right, I got gotcha. you. And I it's think it's all physical. It's no. Yeah, it's all, it's all physical. It's all all very upfront. And I think when it comes down to you know their internal world, and and how solid and secure mm. they are as a person, and you know how readily they can give encouragement to others and you know them having like a strong self-concept i think sometimes in those areas Mm. there can be a sense of lack or or maybe a you know sense of deficiency Mm. um so so i think we have strength on on one end of the spectrum on the other end of the spectrum i think we also have men who you know maybe don't reflect that kind of you know masculinity or strength Mm. but they have a lot of sensitivity yeah. And they're very in tune with themselves, very in tune with, with others, very like um, relational and articulate with their emotions. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think whether or not we define, you know, masculinity by, you know, those different kind of extremes, ultimately, you know, shapes what our kind of end product of what we end up with. Right. And I think, you know, true masculinity, masculinity is actually an infusion of the two okay i think masculinity you know is embodied in a man who who has strength Mm. and also a man who has heart Mm. and i think men who have strength but no heart are kind of you know typecasted as that macho man right okay um i think men who you know have have heaps of heart but no strength is sometimes they can perceive be perceived as being a bit of a wimpy man right and I think sometimes in our culture we actually, you know, have men who, who maybe neither have either. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of. So where does that come from? I think in large part, um, I think fatherlessness kind of does have a play, um, yeah. and that not being validated as a man, or mm. or not having maybe, I don't know, certain opportunities to, to win or achieve or to, um kind of create these characteristics actually as you say that there's a point i want to touch on that that whole whole idea of winning in our culture as well is something that um and i guess i I hear this from more of a third party point of view because i don't have kids of my own at school to you know relay these messages back but this idea of um you know everybody participated as opposed to going out there to win like that's that's been observed as a uh, a value that we we don't want to have you know we, we don't want to you know for, for guys to get this message saying, I don't know, it's not about winning, um, it's about participating. Um, would you say that's a damaging message for a lot of guys to hear? 
Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think um, I don't think winning is intrinsically linked with masculinity. Okay. Um, so I don't think to you have to win to be masculine. Mm. But I do think there's um, some really inherent deep part of of the masculine psyche mm. that actually does need challenge. Right. That okay. actually does need um, to overcome things. And they actually yeah. may need to face pressure mm. in order to, you know, forge certain characteristics and to, and to cultivate a, a balanced and healthy sense of self-esteem and self-belief. Mm. And so I think when we don't have that, or, or, you know, maybe we get overcome by disappointment. Sure. Or maybe we think we, we don't live up or, mm. you know, we don't meet expectations. Mm. Um, and then I think, you know, men can cave to that. Mm. And they can become defeated sure and, and they don't seek out the the avenues to become strong emotionally mm. um and then they don't seek out um opportunities to develop intimacy and and kind of cultivate you know that part of their heart mm. um and so largely these types of men can be kind of almost very disengaged yeah sure um and can kind of almost ostracize themselves yeah. or, or, or or just kind of check out yeah. And, and I think settle and, and become kind of quite unsatisfied with, with who they are and where they're at. Yeah. Look, tragically, it's pretty easy for me to think of people who I know would, would fit into that fit into that mould, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, people I've uh, grown up with or, you know, uh, friends or family members or whatever at different stages. Um, but, I mean, there's a couple of things there that you touched on that I thought were really, really powerful. First of all, that idea of challenge being a necessary good um, in our lives. Like, we... I have observed broadly again um, a war against stress in our culture and i think we definitely mm. is, uh, there's a lot of stress going on yeah definitely uh but it seems to me this sometimes it gets expressed in an extreme that says no let's not put anybody under pressure yeah uh, if there's a form of pressure working against you know you've got to get rid of it it's it's not good for you um but i think what you've identified there is that well actually there is a, a healthy measure of it um which if you avoid completely you actually end up weaker as a result anyway it doesn't result in a, a healthier better expression of life you're actually worse for it yeah definitely yeah i think um yeah a quick example would be you know you look at anyone who goes to the gym okay uh you know they may go for the first time and and you know they find it difficult mm -hmm. and challenging yeah and um potentially they'll hate it yeah um but you know it's this resistance mm. that actually kind of creates a need for strength Mm. and it's this resistance that actually causes us to adapt mm. and it's this resistance that actually kind of solidifies something you know in our body to generate a response mm. that is actually going to make us you know more capable of you know handling sure. future challenges and you know what i love about that too is that you know often i think we make the connection that physical strength i think for guys in particular as well like the whole idea of going to a gym even if you don't right you kind of know how it works you go in there <laughs> you pick up heavy stuff and then eventually you end up being able to pick up heavier stuff yeah, because sure. of the resistance basic principle <laughs> but to know that that works on an emotional level actually is something that i think is an important connection for people to make too because that whole idea of building i guess emotional intelligence particularly for guys to know that you can do that mm. um is quite could be quite mind-blowing for somebody listening right now like if you don't believe you're someone who can express how you feel or knows how to deal with strong emotion um you can by following the same principles that you would follow if you know you looked at physical training yeah exactly 
Yeah. So when then we talk about this kind of stuff, another thing that, that struck me very strongly too is that a lot of guys are doing this alone, right? Like this whole idea of you, you face a challenge, you can't deal with it, um, and then you retreat. So how do you, how do you look to address that, this idea of a, a lack of community or even the fact that guys would be able to support one another or where there hasn't been someone to, for one word or another, be able to deliver that rite of passage, then be able to be there to support one another? Social creatures. You know, we're, we're not made to live in isolation. Mm. We're not made to kind of navigate this journey alone. And you know, there's an interesting comment um, brought up by Bell Hooks, a, a feminist who has written a book on masculinity. Okay. And she says, all over the world, terrorist regimes use isolation to break people's spirit. And he says, and she says, this weapon of psychological terrorism is actually deployed daily against men in our culture. Wow. And so I think. There's something about this, you know, this isolating force or this drive to be isolated, you know, for fear of shame or fear of, you know, appearing vulnerable mm. actually drives us into a place where we're actually kind of internally terrorized. Wow. Okay. Um, which I think is, yeah, not a, not a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, any, any, no, I think that's any, a fear. <laughs> any of us who've, um, who've, you know, who've been there at times in, in our journey, I'm sure um, yeah. anyone could testify, you know, that's not... A, not a place we want to find ourselves. <laughs> right. Um, and so I think in that, we actually need to step out and we actually need to find, you know, connection mm. and we actually need to find um, assistance and help and advice mm. um, and journey through some of those struggles mm. together. Mm. And, and I think, you know, on, on that note, I think, you know, when we ask the question of why do we struggle with that mm. so much? Yeah. As I think it kind of comes back down to this issue of shame. Okay. Which I've kind of discovered recently is, is actually huge. Yeah. And underpins, you know, so many of um, our issues in, in society and manhood relating to, you know, bullying, okay. um, violence, domestic violence, um, depression, suicide, other areas of mental health. You know, this area of shame, it actually forces us into a place where we're unwilling to get vulnerable. Right. And we kind of get into a state where we're just kind of walking this road alone. Mm. And I think when, you know, life gets difficult and life gets dark yeah, and you're walking it alone, man, sometimes you can feel hopeless. Yeah. And sometimes you can feel like things are spinning out of control and, and you can't do anything to change it. Sure. Or, or there's no way forward. So what are the, tell me about then, tell me more about shame. Like what, what is the, um, you know, what are the conditions that are generating that? Like what is it when somebody's stuck in a position of deep shame? Um, what are the forces that have created that or how does a person look to break out of it? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think to a degree, I think, um, shame is almost, or it's kind of exaggerated and, and I think, um, blown up to um how would i say it kind of a more kind of exponential level okay. i think through our constructions almost of, of what it means to be masculine in our culture okay so i think many men have this base base kind of fear of you know if i'm vulnerable 
I'm going to be perceived as weak. Yeah. If I'm vulnerable, I may be, you know, perceived as being less respectable. Mm. Um, if I'm vulnerable, you know, it shows everyone else that I'm not capable of handling it. Yeah, right. Um, which I think, you know, I think puts them in a position where, you know, they don't want to risk it. Yeah. You know, they, they, they don't, they don't want to, you know, experience the shame so, so they don't reach out. And, and oftentimes, you know, through that, you know, they actually don't move forward. Sure. And, and they actually stagnate and, you know, become unhealthy emotionally. Yeah. And, and I think the extreme of shame is, you know, I think in our society and in this modern age is you'll see men who who won't actually reach out to anyone yeah. until they're at a point of extreme, yeah. you know, horrendous crisis. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, these these crises or, or these difficulties that we encounter, mm. you know, um, e- even then, men don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah. And so you look at a man who's, you know, his marriage has just blown up. Sure. Or he's just gone bankrupt. Mm. Or he's lost a child. Mm. Or, you know, faces some huge traumatic event. Mm. And oftentimes, some of these men, they'll actually prefer to get caught up in a cycle of addiction right um or prefer to drink away their problems sure or they'll engage in behaviors that are actually self-sabotaging sure or they may kind of enter into a process of gambling mm. um and oftentimes you know they would rather do this than bear the shame of being vulnerable that's incredible and i just think that shows you know something extremely kind of dysfunctional I think in our society about how we perceive that vulnerability. Is, that is a really great in, in relation yeah. in relation to manhood. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, you know to be vulnerable actually requires courage. Yes. Which I think is actually a virtue that characterizes masculinity. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so when we're vulnerable, we're showing courage. Yes. And courage is inherently, you know, masculine or, or maybe not masculine, maybe desirable. Yeah. Um, as a trait, and mm. so. You know, I think maybe sometimes we need to reframe mm. the way we perceive vulnerability. I love that. I mean, if I was to think about, first of all, too, that idea of, in our culture, we like, you think about the heroes that we have that come out in, in media, things like James Bond, right? Like James Bond, for a lot of guys, is like the <laughs> archetype, right? Yeah. So who is James Bond? James Bond does it by himself. He does. He doesn't need anybody else. He doesn't talk about his feelings. He doesn't talk about anything. Uh, you know, sure he gets the girl, but then, you know, she either dies at the end or like, you know, by, <laughs> the, next, by the next movie, somehow she's gone somewhere. Like, we don't know what happened to her. Um, but th- that whole idea of a guy being able to do it by himself mm. um, is is very powerfully communicated through media messages as well. Yeah, it is. And, and I think almost not only communicated, but in a sense, it's glorified. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, I think... Um, you know, even a lot of movies or, or a lot of media that we kind of consume. Mm. You know, there's this whole kind of idea of the self-made man. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, the man who, you know, takes this road alone and, mm. and he, you know, he still achieves. Mm. Um, he still accomplishes mm. good things. And right. so we kind of esteem them yeah. to the point of kind of heroism. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because despite how successful or despite how maybe strong some of these individuals appear mm. i think the reality is that they're deeply isolated mm. 
and they're deeply alone. Mm. And you know, when you look at this typecast figure of James Bond, <laughs> I think yeah. anyone who, you know, looks at that kind of character or that movie and begins to break it down and analyze it, yeah. you can just see that this character is chronically self-medicating. Yes. Um, he has intimacy issues. Yeah. Um, his lifestyle is exciting yeah. in some sense, yeah. but it's unsustainable and it's actually not the reality that we live in. Sure. Um, it's this form of hyper-reality. Yeah. Um, like and it. so I, I think when we, look at, when we look at kind of those kind of typecasts or, or characters to kind of guide our ideals of manhood, sure. I just think we just end up way off the track. But when you've got guys who, in the absence of, say, a, you know, a father figure or somebody like that, um, that's in some ways can be the most accessible form of a male role model for them, right? Yeah, I yeah, I do think part that is partially true. Yeah, um, and I, and I do think kids and young men and young young women as well can be educated by by media. Mm. Um, you know, it's I think it's one of the primary you know shaping forces of our society. Mm. And so yeah, I think when we don't have a model in our world. Mm. I think, you know, we look elsewhere. Yeah. And oftentimes I think media and TV and movies are the easiest place, you know, to mm. find these definitions or, or things that we think will help us on our journey. Sure. And it, it's interesting too to even think that when you're looking at a cultural message, um, something that I've become increasingly aware of is like, you know, when you're in New Zealand and you're a New Zealander, uh, you don't think New Zealanders have a culture. <laughs> um, so, spoken to so many New Zealanders like oh yeah I remember even at school and university and stuff when these conversations would come up and be like oh what's New Zealand culture and people like oh we don't really have one <laughs> but it's not till you go overseas that you suddenly go oh wait a minute we've got a way that we do things and that doesn't have to be the way that we do things but we're so accustomed to it that we can't consider another way and so when you talk about again this whole idea of masculinity in our culture as well we go well that's for, for a lot of people to hear this as well, they go, well, that's just always the way it is. Like, that's the way it has to be. That's what it means to be a man in this kind of culture. And you go, oh, you mean it doesn't? Like, that's quite a quite a mind-blowing moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right on that. I think um, you, we often kind of live our lives without questioning things. Yeah. And I think often we take for granted um, some of the things that we believe. Mm. And, and I think, you know, once it's... I think channeled through enough streams of influence, whether or not that's media, whether or not that's the social spheres we uh, yeah. interact in, yeah. uh, family, mm. um, different kind of maybe um, areas that we find ourselves within society. Yeah. If it's believed by enough people, mm. sometimes we just <laughs> yeah. internalize it as truth. Mm. And, and I love something um, Dr. Phil once said. He once said, you know, a lie unchallenged replaces the truth. Right. And so if we don't question things, yeah. if we don't say, hold on, I actually don't think this is healthy or normal or true, yeah, then we actually end up internalizing things that are actually incorrect mm. and that can actually be very damaging for our, our, our psyche mm. and our society mm. and our relationships. And um, yeah, it can be... Um, Hugely destructive. Yeah. Look, I mean, if I was to tell a story on a personal note, you know, uh, I think about um, for myself and recent, I would say probably only in about the last five years or so, um, one of the ways that it would most have been expressed, this dysfunctional idea of masculinity would have been that idea of it's all up to me by myself. Um, and that was something that I didn't even question, uh, didn't even see as being unnatural or even unhealthy. I thought it was a virtue. Uh 
for quite a long time until fortunately actually it was in a business context but I, I put myself in a situation where I was challenged and I had to start asking people for help because I literally just couldn't you know it's like whoa <laughs> yeah. this is like so in the head. deep end yeah yeah but I actually I had people I could learn from in that environment and fortunately one of the guys that I worked with was actually very good at working with teams of people um, to start to see oh actually you can ask for help and then later on starting to see this whole construct that I had of it just being up to me was actually really unhealthy um that this thing that i thought was a strength was actually probably one of the biggest limiting things in my life <laughs> um so i say all that to say that then for you like can you think of what the moments were where you started to see that perhaps this picture of what it means to be a man in our culture uh don't actually measure up or the things that we thought were the virtues we were pursuing actually aren't good for us yeah yeah i i, I think you're not alone not alone in feeling that and i think i um I kind of grew up, you know, not having a, not having a super involved relationship with my father. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think at times in my journey, I kind of felt quite isolated Yeah. and, and quite, um, quite almost alone or, mm. or unsure. Mm. And I think, um, you know, through that journey, there's just so much, so much confusion, um, and I began to kind of act in ways that, um, you know, really just kind of chaotic yeah. and dysfunctional. Sure. Um, and so it wasn't until I kind of started to journey into my 20s that I actually began to, you know, really um, kind of unearth some of the deep stuff. Sure. I think that had kind of happened to me or, or maybe some of the belief systems or um, various kind of issues that had accumulated in my life. Mm in my heart that I actually came to see, you know, certain protective mechanisms that I might have built up. Right. You know, of trying to be impenetrable. Yeah. And yeah. Not, and not show, you know, vulnerability. Yes. Or, you know, to be strong mm. or to kind of just internalize my emotion and pretend like nothing bothered me. Yeah. Um, I kind of got to a point where I was maybe 20 about 20 years old and um and after just kind of internalizing all these things that had happened and letting you know all this emotion build up just the wheels started to fall off right my life like yeah. internally okay and i kind of went through this season where i plunged into this really kind of dark place of depression right and i think you know the nature of emotion in a sense is you know emotions aren't inherently bad yeah um and I think sometimes as guys, we can view them as intruders, where, whereas they're just indicators. Ah. You know, emotions yeah. indicate something for us. I like that distinction. Um, and so I think, you know, when we don't address emotion mm. and we don't acknowledge emotion yeah. and we don't express, express emotion, you know, I think we're either led down two roads. Sure. And that is either explosion and so, you know, an outburst of emotion, sure. <laughs> you know, often ending in you know, an activity or a moment that you regret yeah. or where you do something stupid yep. um, or you can implode. Mm. And I think that's where mental, you know, a huge part of mental illness comes into play Yeah, is this build up of stress and, um, and emotion and, and unresolved trauma. And we actually begin to implode internally Yeah, because it's almost like we've built up this kind of psychological or mental scaffolding. Yeah. Um, in our hearts or in our minds to, to deal with certain things. Yeah. 
and and scaffolding is fragile. Yeah, right. You know, it's yeah. not meant to yeah. handle pressure. Yeah. And so as soon as enough pressure accumulates, yeah. the whole kind of structure falls over. Mm. And then I think we we plummet into a place that's, that's deep and dark and, yeah. and can seem hopeless. Mm. Um, and so for me, I think at that point, I had to really reevaluate, you know, what I, I think perceived manhood to be mm. and you know who i perceive myself to be yeah and and you know how i should approach certain you know issues and yeah and difficulties that kind of came up in my life and and you know kind of um really kind of opened up a channel for me to actually start acknowledging some things mm. Can, and actually anything, communicating is there anything you're comfortable talking about specifically in that respect yeah totally um so I kind of think there's probably a lot I can talk about there. I think one thing um, that kind of really stood out to me maybe a few years ago is I was on a date with um, a date with a girl and she began to ask these probing questions of me, just kind of exploring um, kind of my life and my background. Yeah. And as we're kind of just sitting at this table, she, um, she just kind of asked me about my history and my family and stuff and I kind of go on to tell her about how my parents split up when I was seven, um, how my dad had kind of been disengaged in that relationship, had been strained throughout my whole teenage years. Yeah. Um, and, and at one point there was, there was another guy my mum was dating who, you know, I thought was really awesome, who I really respected. Yeah. Um, and, and he was like, for a while, like an incredible influence yeah. in my life. And then when that didn't work out, he was gone. Yeah. Um, and then my mum ended up remarrying. Uh-huh. Um, and about a year after she re- remarried, this this guy who was my stepdaddy ended up having a heart attack and passing away. Oh, God. And so, as I'm, te- as I'm on the state telling this this girl kind of, you know, part of my backstory, she just kind of pauses and she and she looks at me and, she's, and she says to me, yeah, it's like every man's abandoned you. Whoa. And I just Whoa. and just something in in my heart just kinda like dropped. Yeah. And it's like she kinda put words to something I deeply felt. Yeah. But I never kinda articulated or kind of known to, you know, a level where I could name it. And I think for me the interesting thing was there as I typically didn't think of myself as having abandonment issues. Yeah. Or or having a fear yeah. of yes. you know, people leaving me and by that time I had like a lot of you know, healthy friendships. I was, um, I was doing well in like many areas of my life. Yeah. And many people would have seen me as highly capable. Yeah. But there was this kind of, you know, nagging distrust or, or maybe an inability, mm. you know, to kind of create intimacy in certain contexts. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until she began to name this thing mm. that I was actually like, That's... okay, there's really something there that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when we, when we kind of face these certain things in our lives, when we resolve them, I think we end up stronger. Mm. And I think we end up, you know, more empathetic and more compassionate and we become more understanding of other people's struggle. Definitely. When I think we let these things accumulate, we actually sabotage our ability to be resilient. And we actually put ourselves in a, in a posture of not a good vulnerability, but in a sense of kind of deep fragility. Yeah. Where, you know, we only need a certain amount of pressure 
to kind of happen in our life or a certain number of pressure points to be hit. Sure. You know, before, you know, we just start to fall apart, you know, whether or not that's internally or, or externally. And a lot of that observation too, I mean, touching on a point like that as well, that consumes so much of our emotional energy that maybe we're not even aware of, that a person can then experience a lot of you know instability because of other little the little five percent factors that are coming into their world that are kind of upsetting them yeah when really that's not that's not the issue at all Mm. well not at its core you know that there's other stuff that we're we're looking to deal with so something actually about that too that it was a direction i wanted to go on with this conversation too because you mentioned you're obviously at a date at a time and now it was a girl who pointed this stuff out to you so what role do women have in masculinity because we're obviously not saying that guys need to go off and you know off into the wilderness and come back and say now we're the finished product ladies um so (laughs) you know for for women who are listening or mothers or sisters and you know wives whatever what role is there for women in getting this more authentic authentic masculinity that we're really looking for yeah definitely great question um i i I think for me i i think women are extremely valuable in that journey um and i think they're you know men and women are very different and i think we're are they though are they though really because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to touch on that point because that's quite a strong even that 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 assertion there are those who would challenge that these days to say that are men and women really that different yeah i, I do think it is a as a as a point of contention yeah in our era um i think we have tried to blur blur those lines and, and i think you know in the pursuit of equality yeah I think we, some some forms of feminism have actually gone so far as to suggest that there there aren't actually many differences mm. between men and women. I would kind of say that I think we are different, and and I think you know we're distinctly different, but we're equally valuable. Nice. And I think we we both brings bring things to the table that you know that other the other gender can't. Right. Um. And so when you know as important as it is for you know fathers and to have like masculine role models mm. i just think it's actually so crucial to have women and, and mothers and um you know older sisters or, or friends in this respect who actually you know help men you know shape <clears throat> their masculinity yeah help them kind of get in touch with maybe those parts of themselves that they can't name or, or don't do so well at understanding yeah. and, and i think i speak for many men as as I kind of say this, as I think, you know, probably many of us are, are very grateful for the role women have played in our lives. Mm. And I think, you know, when we have this culture where, you know, men are so kind of filled with shame or, or, or yeah. have such a fear of being vulnerable. Yeah. I think often, you know, men feel like they can't go to other men. Right. And so normally they actually go to, to women. But there are those guys who feel they can't talk to women either, though. I definitely, I definitely think there are. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely, absolutely. But I, but I think there's a lot of guys who, you know, have found a lot of um, comfort and understanding mm. and, and insight from their interactions with women and stuff. Because we do have um, this idea in our culture as well about there being a well-publicized term, battle of the sexes. Yeah. Right. So is is there something adversarial in that as well that can can affect that negatively? Like how how have you seen um, that idea of there being a battle of the sexes um, that could negatively affect you know, masculinity in our culture as well. Yeah, you don't like to throw easy questions. 
Yeah, I think I think that's um that's a very good point. Um, how we deal with masculinity, I think it has a lot to. Um, how we deal with it, ultimately has big consequences. Sure. And and, and the trajectory of both men and women, and where we go, and how we function together in society. I think um, historically feminism has been necessary. Yeah. Um, and, and I do still think it is necessary. Hmm. Um, and there was a, I think there's been an oppression and there's been an imbalance across, you know, countless centuries. Sure. Um, you know, regarding gender roles. Yeah. And, you know, women have often been um, made to feel inferior. Yeah. Where, where I, don't th- I don't think they are. Yeah. <clears throat> I think they're equally as capable. Yeah. I'd say there's something in our psyche um, and on a real soul level, that's actually very different in the way we function. Right. And I think there's almost maybe a spectrum of, you know, on on one half you've got, you know, masculine, uh, masculinity, and the other side you have femininity. Yeah. And I think there's there's men and women who kind of veer closer to that kind of middle ground, mm. and maybe the dispositions they have the the characteristics that they embody um but i think really i think our constructions in the past of both masculinity and femininity mm. have been very limited yeah and it's kind of almost been this you know this straight jacket where you know males have to fit into this certain kind of typecast sure and females you know have to play this other role mm. and a lot of these beliefs, you know, with both genders have actually been very limiting. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what I love about that, that observation you've already made too, and is, is of how both, both genders can help the other. Um, like just, just that idea. I mean, again, with, with our culture, if you've got, you know, guys saying to women, you know, you've got to be like this and women saying to guys, you've got to be like this. Uh, when realizing that, you know, even for yourself, like you talked about a moment where thanks to the inside of a, a, you know, a girl that you were dating at the time, um, it was just an insight, and I guess if we, I'm going to talk in generalities as well, uh, women tend to have a better grasp of emotional intelligence just naturally than guys do. That's you know, yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's been proven by <laughs> yeah, 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 many right. a psychological studies. Yeah, excellent, so. <laughs> thank you. Um, but just you know, being able to see that as a as a resource and a help, as opposed to um, something to run from, yeah. is a massive shift mm. in again what it means to be a to be a man as well, to see that that is something that can actually help you grow and develop too. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think um, one interesting, one interesting point uh, kind of along that track is um, throughout some of the reading, the reading and the inquiry and the research that I've been doing, um, one of, you know, the most insightful and valuable kind of sources of information has actually been a book uh, written on masculinity by a feminist. Yeah. Um, and and she's, she, she's kind of brought some incredible insights to the table. Um, and her name's Bell, Bell Hooks. Mm. And, and she's done a lot of kind of groundbreak, groundbreaking work. And she did make this interesting point that I, um, I found quite intriguing in one of her chapters. And she said, you know, sometimes it's not only men that buy into this, this masculine Mm. idea or this or this hyper masculine construct right but it's actually the woman in our society as well yeah right and so i think sometimes men get these mixed messages Uh of you know being told to be vulnerable right being told to express emotion 
but then there's some men who you know have instances where they do so and they're criticized by women for doing it whoa um and so sometimes you know some of these unhealthy ideals yeah can actually be propagated by yeah, yeah women who, who you wouldn't expect to hold these ideals sure of men yeah um and and she even kind of goes so far as to say um, and kind of discussing the family unit Mm. is how sometimes um, the role mothers play in kind of shaping a man's masculinity is they can be extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, but there can also be areas where, yeah, there can be a lot of damage um, caused in that relationship as well. Mm. For example, when, when, a, um, when a mother has a lot of rage or maybe disappointment or anger towards men, Mm. Um, and she feels like some of these men um, may have power over her mm. emotionally or mm. or in some sense and she feels like she can't direct her amb- her, her anger at them mm. she may then displace it on her son right who okay. who's who's vulnerable and, and who yeah yeah is, isn't yeah. A th- isn't a threat so to speak yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and she kind of draws another example as well where she says, you know, sometimes women buy into this kind of hyper-masculinity so much that in kind of the relationship of a mother and son, the mother will actually get to a point where she'll begin to deprive her son of, of nurture and affection right? because she because believes that <laughs> it's going to make him weak right. and that he won't be a man and that he won't be able to cultivate, Whoa. you know, these qualities that are going to... You know, Mark Kim is masculine. <laughs> We're messing each other up left, right, and center, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of dynamics yeah. um, at play in a lot of different areas. Yeah. Um, and so I think we can't, when we're looking at masculinity, yeah. I think we actually have to analyze mm. kind of every, you know, place or, or source yeah. that's kind of shaping what we believe about the area. Yeah, well, I mean, something that, that shows up for me very strongly, you know, as we come closer to the end of our conversation too, is just that it's important to acknowledge that there are assumptions um, that we all have in play that perhaps we've had in play our whole lives um, that either it was reinforced by media, it was reinforced by, you know, even for yourself, you talked about your own story. It could have been, uh, you know, the, the well-intentioned but misinformed opinions of people that we held in high regard as well have all given us an idea of, well, this is what it looks like. Um, but something I find quite, I guess, comforting if you if you look at it in the right way, is that there's something about the the mind and the emotions that intent that, that actually wants to right itself, you know, because you talked about that idea yeah, of when you feel a negative feeling, we go, oh no, run from that. <laughs> so well, actually, that's that's your internal system trying to go, hey, wait a minute, something's not right here. Yeah, sure. We need to heal this. Um, we know what that looks like in the physical body because if we get a bruise or you know we break a bone, we go, oh, that pain, that means something's not right. Oh, but I can fix that and I'll be okay. Whereas in our mental and emotional state, we feel pain. We think, oh, best thing I can do with that is just kind of stuff it down and pretend it's not there. Um, as opposed to addressing that, being aware of that and recognize it can actually lead to a fuller experience in my life as well. Yeah. I think, yeah. Kind of hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> <laughs> I, was on a, I was on a flow. All right, man. So look, you've obviously got this program that you're working on um, at the moment, but this this won't be the... Uh, I guess the end of this journey for you as well. So I suppose for anybody listening as well who 
wants to be involved in this with you or uh, perhaps as a, as a psychologist or someone who can contribute to the work that you're doing as well? Is there a way that people can get in touch with you or um, be involved in what you're doing? Yes, yeah, so I guess um, I guess from here, I guess this is a starting point mm. for me um, and kind of ex- exploring this whole area. Mm. And this raw program, I think, is essentially just a piece in a puzzle. Yeah. Um, trying to help young guys kind of navigate their journey. Yeah. And so for me... I want to kind of finish, um, finish, finish studying, um, look at doing a thesis mm. on masculinity and gender constructs. Yep. Um, and then after that, we'll kind of look at probably doing some writing um, and maybe putting pen to paper and yeah, kind of writing about this topic in a bit more depth. So um, yeah, if, if anyone did have any questions or did want to get involved in that process or, mm. or chat to me further about any of the stuff that I've read or kind of talked about with you, um, they can email me at jnapkpp300 at gmail.com. That email address again, jnapp, J-K-N-A-P-P, 300 at gmail.com. So that is what it takes to be a man. Now you know. <laughs> um, that's actually not where the conversation ended, but I figured at this point I should probably say something because uh, there was one more thing that Jason and I wanted to touch on, and that was the different stages of... Um, the male journey. Um, you know, you're not the same guy you were when you were a child um, as you are through adolescence, then when in your 20s, your 30s, and so on. Um, not that you can completely pigeonhole everything according to age group, but you get where I'm going, okay? Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit more about that. So um, I turned the mic back on, and we had a bit more of a discussion about the different stages in uh, the male journey uh, based on the writings of a guy by the name of John Eldridge. So this is what he had to say. There's a writer that I came across who... He's really intriguing in his approach to, um, to the whole arena of masculinity. Yeah. And, and his name's John Eldridge. And so he basically articulates these different stages of the masculine journey. Mm-hmm. And so he divides them up into six different phases. Okay. And so phase one he calls um, boyhood, mm-hmm. which is characterized by a state of kind of exploration and wonder and, and just kind of enjoyment. Mm. Um, and it's kind of learning to kind of embrace adventure as like a young boy. Yeah. And he says, from there we transition into a stage which is called the cowboy stage. Mm-hmm. And he basically characterizes this phase as a place of adventure, uh, a place of discovery, where we actually kind of get to test our metal mm-hmm. and find out what we're made of. Right. Um, and so normally in this stage, it kind of, he, he, he talks about these stages as, not being um, kind of marked by by an age, yeah, but actually having a little bit of crossover in the way they express themselves. Sure. So he talks about this stage as kind of being essentially awakened in the teenage years mm. and kind of transitioning in through the twenties. Um, and so from this stage, he then kind of talks about another one called the warrior stage. And so this is basically where a guy starts to really drive forward in his life and begin to fight for something. Mm. Begin to really hone his abilities to exemplify discipline, um, to find out what they fight for. Yeah. And, and he says that all men have things in their life that they need to fight for. Right. Men need to fight for maybe justice, mm. maybe uh, for what's right. Maybe they need to fight for their friends. Or... I am Batman. So that explains <laughs> a lot about what I do in my spare time. Carry on. <laughs> sure. Um, and maybe some men need to fight for their marriage or right. you know, fight for their dreams. Uh-huh. 
and I think we're all kind of embraced in this battle. Mm. You know, you look at men like uh, William Wilberforce, mm-hmm. who who fought against slavery. Yeah, and, and it was his battle as a warrior that actually led to you know the release of heaps of captives. Mm. Uh, you look at men like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who actually instigated huge social reform. Yeah, um, through you know fighting a noble battle. Mm-hmm. And so we ha- we have this stage, and then he goes on to the fourth stage. Uh, which is quite interesting, and he articulates it as being um, the stage where a man becomes a lover. And so what he means by this stage is it's a place and a time or a season in life where a man really becomes awakened to an awareness of beauty. And and so he doesn't just talk about a stage kind of in the domain of woman, Mm. but he actually talks about it as being being an awakening of a man's heart, discovering... um, their passion, um, discovering kind of the different nuances of, of nature, right. um, maybe kind of journeying down a track where they really begin to have an increased um, appreciation for poetry or, or literature right. or, or, the, or the deeper kind of um, expressions of like the human heart. Cool. Um, and, right. the, and the Celtics actually had an interesting um, kind of statement about, about this stage. Or, or, or kind of embodying this idea of, of being a lover as a man. And they said, um, don't trust a man with a sword who can't dance. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, so, all right, all right. and so basically like they were saying is, you know, <laughs> when, when we look at this warrior stage, yeah. you know, it's basically saying a man, you know, is made to fight and he's mm. made to fight for something. Mm. When we look at the lover stage, you know, we're saying that a man is also made to love mm. and, and he's meant to, you know, have a deep appreciation for things. He's, he's meant to be a man of depth. Right. And then he's also, like that, yeah. you know, supposed to be a compelling lover as well. And so when we look at these two together, yeah, you know, we find these key domains of the masculine psyche where on one sense, we have to be a warrior. Yeah. Right. And on the other, we have to be a lover. Right. And if we're a warrior, and we just we just depl- display strength, you know. There's a there's something missing, right? And yet, if we haven't learned how to fight, and we haven't learned how to battle, and we aren't able to take a stand for things, mm. and then we kind of enter into the realm of being a lover, right? Sometimes there's maybe deficiencies in our male psyche, or maybe a lack of strength that we could have developed if we had really embraced yeah. the struggle of a battle. Yeah. Um, and, and so like it's kind that. of a like kind of an interesting concept. And then so after this fourth stage of lover, he then transitions into the stage, which he calls um, as defined by the, like being the realm of a king. Okay. And so, what's entailed in this kind of season of kingship is essentially like a, coming to a place of increased responsibility. Okay. Uh, whether or not that a particular leadership position in an organization, managing mm. a team, um, heading a family unit, mm. um, maybe you become a coach of a sports team, yep. um, or you're basically entrusted with influence in, in a particular area, and really you're tested how you handle that influence or that, that sense of power. Mm. Do, you, um, do you utilize it well for yep. the benefit of others, mm. or do you show that you're corrupt and you... Right, lord it over them. And, yeah, you lord yeah, it over them and, it. you know, yeah. you end up being an unruly king. Yeah. Um, and so he talks about that stage of kingship. 
And then the last one, which is quite interesting, as he as he refers to us men transitioning into this place where towards those last few decades of our life we become a sage. Okay. And so he talks about this kind of phase being marked by wisdom. Um, That's where I grow my impressive beard. Is that right? Is that what we're talking about? Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> where you begin to grow a Gandalf beard. Yeah, that's it. And, and so basically he looks at, um, you know, how our experiences and, and the lessons we've learned through our mistakes mm. actually ac- accumulate to a place where we actually have a lot of wisdom about yeah. you know, a lot of different areas of right. our life. Right. And so then the responsibility of the sage yeah. is to then mentor or impart or, mm. or give counsel to yeah. those who are, who are kings or, or in earlier stages, those right. who are right. kind of entrusted with realms of influence. Yeah. And so, and so he provides this kind of um, sequential you know, set of imagery yeah. that I think really kind of characterizes the masculine journey very well. And, and I think in particular... Those those initial stages, you know, a man transitioning through his later teenage years into early adult years, I think they can all they can be a point of crisis for some men as they try to figure out, you know, right. what I want to do, what type of man I want to be, yep. you know, what defines a man in the first place. Mm. Um, so it can be a place of struggle and confusion. Mm. I also think as a man gets older, as a man retires and begins to move out of the workplace. Yeah. You know, men can start to feel lacking useless or yeah, yeah lacking yeah. in direction, lacking yeah. in purpose, and, and feel like you know their best years are behind them. Yeah, um, and so a real kind of sense of purposelessness sure. or aimlessness sets in. Well, I mean, you hear but, stories of guys who who work towards retiring as the main goal in their lives, and they don't actually live much longer than that <laughs> that point of retirement, right? It's, all, <laughs> yeah, totally. it's almost like we need something more than that. Yeah, exactly. And and I just think you know you glean so many insights across the yeah. years and you have such value to mm. offer, you mm. know, the upcoming generation that I think, you know, men as a transition through life as I think as men, we, we want to earn respect. Yeah. You know, we want to cultivate a sense of admiration and, you know, for, you know, maybe what we do or, or who we are as a person in the sphere that we find ourselves. Yeah. And so I think when a man does that and he, and he you know, takes this, um, place of respect has this kind of mantle of wisdom upon him and he's stewarded those former years well then he actually transitions into the area of sage and he's actually positioned to be a real powerful influence mm. whereas I think if you squander those earlier years right. then you put yourself out of a position of influence yeah. and you know people are unwilling to listen to you because you haven't proven you know that you operated by a successful or, or maybe healthy um, or kind of significant way of living. Ooh, dropping the hammer to finish with. Jason Knapp, everybody. J-K-N-A-P-P 300 at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with him or find out more about the RAW program. I just think it's awesome. Noticing a problem like that and deciding that you're going to be the one who steps in and provides a solution. That is inspiring stuff. Uh, And if you enjoyed what we talked about as well, I'm always open to your feedback too or just your perspective. Um, Maybe I'll end up with a mailbag segment at one of these days. Anyway, you can send it through to the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. So I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. Again, would love to hear from you if you've got some feedback you'd like to give. Otherwise, I will have another podcast for you very soon. Thanks for listening again. Don't